morning. As Scott said, we're going to be looking at biblical counseling once again. It's something I feel is, is necessary for all of us to learn about, um, especially us who are committed to be Bereans, students of the Word of God. Um, we're fully equipped by God to be able to counsel uh, those um, with any sort of spiritual need that they may have. So if you want to turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, that's where we're going to dive into today. But before we go there, I just wanted to do a little bit of review from last time. And really, the, the last time we, we had um, looked at biblical counseling, we looked at it from uh, a standpoint of the crucial presuppositions and principles for biblical counseling. And really, the, the purpose behind that message was to really um, kind of identify, um, at least to some degree, some presupposed things that we are items, biblical truths, that we ought to have in a framework of biblical counseling as we seek to minister to people. And the first thing I identified was the holiness of God. The holiness of God. God is holy. He is majestic. And he's holy in morality as well. And since us as sinful man are... uh, not holy outside of Christ, this is where uh, we ought to, to at least begin to um, understand uh, biblical counseling from a theological standpoint, the holiness of God. And it really stated the principle that the holiness of God exposes every man's need of salvation from sin and really sets a course for life uh, inside of Christ. And then the second item that we looked at was the sufficiency of Scripture. And this is another important item for us to lay hold of as uh, people who want to strive to minister to people in their, heart, in their hearts and their minds really meet their needs is the, the, uh, the sufficiency of Scripture. And we briefly looked at Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. And this here just is a very simple... Uh, psalm that lays out the sufficiency of Scripture, a psalm of David. He really communicates the multifaceted use of Scripture and how it is very uh, capable to meet the needs of anyone in counseling. And we looked at the principle and stated the principle, I guess I should say, that God's Word is completely capable to address man's affairs of life including their sin. And then thirdly, we looked at briefly that man is created in God's own image. Uh, we looked at some, uh, stated some passages that discuss man being cre- created in God's image and likeness. And we stated the principle that true fulfillment um, created in, in God's image is living in the proper relationship with others and God while being his faithful representative. And that's really the idea of being made in the image of God, is, is that he has given us, in part, his own image. He's given us um, abilities to, to love and to express, uh, to speak, and there's, there's other items as well. We didn't go into too much detail, but man is created in God's image, and in that image we ought to, to live, and that's where we ought to direct people when we, when we counsel people. Uh, from the word of God. They're created in God's image. And the sinfulness of man. We stated uh, as a simple statement read throughout scripture, you see that man is sinful. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, the, the sin of man has caused separation, really eternal separation from God. And this, is, this in here lies the need for um, us to not only receive counsel from God's word to strive to put off our sin and put on Christ, but also communicate the truth of God to others to uh, either receive Christ as our Lord and Savior or to equip them to walk more faithfully uh, in Christ. And you could probably add some more to, the, to that list, but I, I thought it, uh, those four crucial items to, to discuss and some principles from, from that. 
So really today what we're going to look at uh, from Colossians is just the brief statement that Paul states, we proclaim him, and really understand what that means. So throughout, um, I'm going to actually divide this, this part into three parts because we're going to examine um, this whole passage. But the first part, really I identify the three pillars of, you could say, three pillars of biblical counseling. And one is that biblical counseling focuses on a high view of God. Biblical counseling focuses on a high view of God. And the other two, which we'll look at in the next messages, the following messages in biblical counseling, the second one would be that biblical counseling imparts biblical instruction. And you can see that just briefly. You look there, as Paul instructs, it, he, he says he proclaims him, and admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom. And we'll, we will look at that in another week, exactly what that means and briefly touch on that today. But then the third pillar of biblical counseling would be that biblical counseling aims for maturity in Christ. This is the purpose in any, any sort of realm of providing God's wisdom to somebody is that they ought to, at the end of verse 28, it says, so that, really stating the uh, purpose statement, so that we may present every man complete, in Christ. So the three major pillars of biblical counseling, you could say, are biblical counseling focuses on a high view of God. Biblical counseling imparts biblical instruction. And then biblical counseling aims for maturity in Christ. And really, the, the purpose of, of all these messages is going to bring to light the necessity of, of biblical counseling within the church and church ministry and in our personal lives, not only as we, um, by God's grace through his spirit, are ministered to and counseled by reading his word, but have opportunities to minister to others um, around us. But what are some needs for this? What are some needs to... Counsel someone in a biblical fashion. Well, I would say one is, is that, that people, are, people are hurting. Whether it's uh, victims of, of abuse, enslavement to alcohol or drugs, sex, or any other things that um, could cause enslavement. People are hurting because of depression. And I, the illustration I used last time was suicide and the unfortunate statistics behind the suicide rate, especially uh, among young people, and I use that illustration of Native Americans, how they are very uh, much exposed to and experience, even at a young age, uh, suicide, people taking their own life, even a young, young person. And loneliness, and, and other things as well. There's, there's other reasons why people are hurting, and um, this is a reason for counseling people and being able to understand the truth of God's word and being able to understand how to impart that to that individual at that time. But another reason would be that people are, have hurt people, have hurt them or are continuing to do that. And either it's intentional or unintentional. You know, people are hurting others, whether by what they say saying something very angry or very divisive or very proud, um, causing a lot of conflict. Conflict is not something that is uh, foreign to any of us, unfortunately. And um, this is a reason for uh, being able to, to be equipped to counsel or be counseled by someone. But another is that people have important decisions to make. There's all sorts of uh, scenarios and things that, that the Lord places us in to, to make important decisions in life. And some of those revolve around our jobs. You know, sometimes a, a job change in life may be presented to us and trying to seek counsel on, on how to uh, make that decision. But also in, in our marriage, uh, marriage counseling, um, or for those who are single, 
those, you know, counseling according to what God would, would have someone to, to live a single life, at least maybe at the moment. Um, but also, too, to just to make, especially for the young kids, it's important to, to realize it, and it's also important for adults as well, but it's friends. You know, what kind of friends should you have? Those are, that's an important decision to make in life. You know, I look back on some of the friends I had, especially um, when I was younger and in high school, they weren't necessarily the, <laughs> the best influence in life. Um, but um, I can recall to mind, too, some very faithful friends, um, even now. And that's, that's important in, in life, an important decision to make, who you ought to, to hang around with and to, to share thoughts with, not that you can't uh, spend time with, with unbelievers or someone who is um, uh, very much living a sinful life, but uh, certainly you should be wise in, in who you uh, establish close relations with. And then just priorities. There's priorities that we ought to have and set forth in life. And def- def- deciding you know, what, those dis- what those priorities are. And sometimes we need to, to seek counsel about that, to seek counsel on how to establish those priorities. I know in, in my younger years, you know, I sought um, out uh, people to help me understand what the true priorities are, living as a, as a follower of Christ, as a man, and what God has, has called me to. Um, so... But also, too, just a, also a person would need some sort of counsel in the, in the realm of providing clarity on certain issues, whether they are theological issues or just to gather insight to, to try to make a right decision. So it's pretty similar to the, to the one above, but sometimes people just need um, clarity on an issue. Um, and according to, to God's word, it's... it's wise to, at least in part, to gather wisdom from a multitude of counselors, and not to, to seek out counselors to uh, fit your frame of thinking, but to seek out uh, a multitude of counselors to bring a, a broad perspective from God's word to bring to bear upon uh, a certain issue in life. And lastly, I should state that, that people uh, need biblical counseling because of situations of crisis. There's all sorts of crisis that, that, that comes about. Um, in particular, most of you have probably heard yesterday about that shooting in Pittsburgh synagogue where 11 people were killed and uh, police officers were injured and uh, many others were injured as well. Those kinds of crisis issues, you know, what... Or how should we be prepared to talk to people and those, those kinds of, of issues? Or, you know, someone who may have, may have lost their home in a hurricane or lost their home to um, bad decisions with spending their money or just a, a death in their family, in a friend. There's people that, that need to uh, understand what God's Word says. You know, the, the word of God brought to bear on a person's life, their heart, and their mind. You know, if one of their close family members um, or friends uh, dies. And I know that, you know, when I was younger, I remember that um, my grandfather, my dad's dad, had died. And uh, I was, I can't remember how old I was, but I, I remember I kind of had a d- difficult time working through that because I really loved my grandpa. And um, it was something that was, it was hard to, in my younger years, hard to understand. And there's, you know, especially the young kids, and myself in this example, didn't really understand or couldn't really wrap my mind around my, my grandpa not being here anymore. And so there's other people that we may be um, come in contact with to be able to talk to about death. And really death, um, to unbelievers can, can be a very difficult thing and something that provides actually a, a great opportunity to be a minister of the gospel to and provide hope and help to them in their time of need. And then as I stated earlier and in the last message, uh, people com- contemplating suicide and there's other sorts of issues, that uh, crisis issues that uh, you may be presented with yourself or 
be um, talking, being able to minister to somebody in that sort of issue. So those are some, so those are some reasons why we ought to equip ourselves uh, in, with God's word and have uh, really a purpose to always be watchful as a, as a follower of Christ, to be able to provide uh, someone biblical counsel from, from God's word in their need and really meet their, meet their true need. So unfortunately, the reality is that we live in a sinful world and we are sinners ourselves. And there's, there's much need for us to receive a God's wisdom. Uh, but I should say that, and to give you an example from, from God's word, of um, this confused world that we live in. Because going back to the reasons why we would need Biblical counseling was because to provide clarity to an issue. Well, in Acts chapter 17, you find the ministry of, of Paul. And in his ministry in Thessalonica, you see this example of men who were very confused about life. In Acts 17 verse 6, it says that when they did not find them, They began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. So just a brief uh, background behind this. This is uh, Paul's ministry to Thessalonica. He came to preach the gospel to them. And you can see the fruit of that ministry um, actually in the the letters that he uh, eventually wrote to the church in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, the fruit of the preaching of the gospel. But here you have men who say that, that Paul and those who accompanied him says these men have upset the world. And in some translations it says they have turned the world upside down. But see, in their mind, they say that Paul, preaching the gospel, the, the truth of God, bringing to bear God's word upon their life, calling them to repent of their sins, Proclaiming, verse 3, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Well, in fact, they were upside down. You see, these, these men thought Paul and his people who ministered with him, Paul and Silas, that these men were turning the world upside down, but in fact they were, they were presenting the truth of God, bringing the truth of God to, to bear upon people's lives so they could see rightly in the world. So they weren't turning the world upside down, but in fact turning the world right side up with the truth of God's word. And there's other examples that you can see throughout scripture of, of um, the confusion and sinfulness of the world. But what is biblical counseling? And what is biblical counseling in the, in the realm of the ministry in the church? And to really understand it, we should see that what it, it is not. At first, it's not an autonomous ministry. This means that it's not something that's set apart. It's supposed to be something apart from the church. Certainly, it should be an integral part of our lives as, as believers, but also a ministry of the church to be able to um, minister to people connected to the body of Christ, where those who are counseling should be connected to the the church as well. Secondly, it's it's not an activity reserved for the experts. And this is one of the things that I had mentioned before, and one of the things that that grieves me kind of most about this is that, you know, I've heard examples of... um, especially in personal interactions with people in my own life, is that the pastors in their life have uh, sought to either communicate that they're too busy preparing a sermon, they don't have time to counsel the people in their church. Or they don't feel qualified. They don't feel qualified to address, say, a divorce that is pending in a marriage. And that is certainly, you know, First and foremost, that that person, a pastor, should be the most qualified. Although we all should be able to uh, speak into a person's life regarding 
various issues like that. So it's not an autonomous mystery. It's not an activity reserved for the experts. Now, I'm not saying, I should say, I'm not saying that one shouldn't pursue um, being a certified biblical counselor, say, through the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, um, uh, most shortly known as ACBC. I'm not saying that because that certainly can provide and equip one to be able to, um, with specific counseling hours and experience. But, but what I am saying is that to not buy into the fact that one should be, you know, a quote-unquote expert. Well, if you're a follower of Christ, if you are a student, student of God's Word, you are in, I guess you could say, you're an expert of, you know, in God's Word and be able to minister to someone. But I would say, too, that, you know, some people are, can be scared away from the fact that you might ha- not have uh, some sort of certification at the, um, at the end of your name or attached to your name. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that trying to really communicate to us to really um, to be thinking about us as counseling others according to God's word and that you are equipped to do that and continue, can continue to, to grow to do that because it's something that you can grow in and some people are better at it than others certainly but we all equipped with God's word can uh, minister to people in their, in their, with, on their hearts and minds. And I should also say that it's not an optional thing. It's not, it's, it's, it's not something that we can do or we should do if, it, if we have time. Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, verse 31 is one example that brings this out. It says, Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And here you have the, the ministry of the Apostle Paul communicating to the Ephesian elders just before his, his departure, and they will not see him again. You see his, his labor in this ministry of uh, ministering to others according to, to God's word. He said, it is a period of three years. I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And then secondly, or fourthly, it's, it's not an entity separate from discipleship. And that means that there should be some sort of entry into um, a relationship with that person to minister to them and develop a relationship that can, um, one that's, that's trusted, you buy the trust in the, in the person in your life. Some may, you may already have that trust to be able to speak into a person's life, but it certainly should be one that, you're willing to spend some time with that person or people and communicate God's truth. And lastly, it's not an activity that is insensitive or uncaring. And I think this is important to note because I think that some, some biblical, some counsel that can come from you or from us, I should say, can come across as very insensitive or uncaring, not caring about the person's needs or situation. And this is really where the skill comes in, as, as one bringing bear upon uh, a person's life, the scriptures. And just really asking questions to be able to understand the person's situation, the person's needs. And because not everybody is like you. <laughs> and people think different. And so it's um, something that may not seem spoken insensitive to somebody or uncaring may come across that way, especially if you don't know the person's situation. So this is something that we, um, as followers of Christ, ought to spend some time thinking about as we approach opportunities to minister to someone, is, you know, be very sensitive to that person's needs, true needs, what the real need is. And I'm not saying that you won't say stuff that will offend someone because I guarantee that, especially those that don't follow Christ, you will say something that will offend them. But in that case, you know, hopefully that offense of the gospel turns around to a repentance of their sin to follow Christ. So just be cautious and very, very careful with your words and really seek to... 
um, in many ways, model Christ in ministering to others. Something we all uh, need to strive for um, in our days here serving, serving God. But what is biblical counseling? It can be summarized in three ways. Biblical counseling really is, is discernment, discerning desires, the thinking or the thoughts and behavior that God really wants to change. Discerning the desires, the thinking, and the behavior that God wants to change. And then secondly, biblical counseling uses God's word by the Holy Spirit to change desires, thinking, and behavior. So really, they, these, the meanings of, of, that I'm stating are building off one another. And the reason why I stated the, the uh, sermon as I did is that, you know, providing help and hope to the real need, because sometimes the real need is, can be a little bit challenging to figure out because there's a lot of other issues that you have to weigh through in a person's life to really speak to, to that real need. So biblical counseling uses God's word by the Holy Spirit to, to change the desires and thinking and behavior. And then thirdly, that biblical counseling seeks the sanctification of the Christian for the glory of God. And that's really what's communicated there in that whole passage, those three items. The passage that we read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. It's a desire to proclaim Christ to the true need, using God's wisdom so that you can present that person complete in Christ. So, biblical counseling, in short, uses God's wisdom to provide help and hope to the, to the true need of that person. So this brings us to, um, to the passage, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, and the first pillar of biblical counseling, that biblical counseling focuses on a high view of God. A proper view of God really sets the course. Having a right theological understanding for yourself can then be imparted to someone else with a wrong view or a misguided view or just need it, just plain encouragement from God's word to um, just be reminded about God's truth. So it says, Paul says in this passage, we, pro- we proclaim him. What does that mean, proclaim him? Really, you see, as I stated, that it, st- it, sets the, it sets a tone for what the Apostle Paul's ministry is grounded in. It's grounded in Christ. This reminds me of a story that I heard of a woman who went to buy a, a necklace for one of her friends who she knew was a Christian. And she went to this necklace, um, this jewelry store, to buy this piece of jewelry, jewelry. She was really looking for something that would really uh, communicate to this person, uh, you know, of her uh, thoughtfulness, but also that she knew she was a Christian, so she thought she would buy something that referred to some sort of Christianity. And she went looking around in the store and, and came across this, um, the jeweler showed her some, several examples of um, various items. And she's like, she said in a brief statement, what about that one of that, that little man carrying the cross? The little man carrying the cross. And that really identifies, there's an example of some people's very small view, low view, of who God is. In that woman's mind, she stated that who was supposed to be resembling Christ himself carrying the cross. She didn't know who he was, calling him a little man carrying a cross. But instead, we want to lift our eyes to who Christ is and to understand why the Apostle Paul and his ministry starts here. Why does Paul start here? Well, first off, we should ask, what does it mean to us, or I should say, what does it mean by this in stating we proclaim him. Well, this proclamation is an announcement. 
It's an announcement of Christ, of who Christ is. But here in your Bible, you don't see it, but if you look in the original language of, in, in the Greek, it doesn't say him. Or it doesn't say, I guess I should say, it does say him. But who is the him? Who is this Christ that it's referred to? And the exact translation of that word is whom. And it's referencing Christ in the previous verse. This whom in which Paul is talking about translated him in most translations is Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But what is this hope of glory that Paul is communicating to the church? Well, I think one of the things that that is important to understand is that the Apostle Paul in this passage and, and, well, I should say in the book of Colossians, is writing to the Colossian church. So he's writing, in a, in a sense, to, to really encourage them to direct their thoughts and their minds to understand Christ in a, in a right theological fashion. If you were to read the, the entire book of Colossians, you would see that. You would see that it's very weighted or very heavy on teaching a doctrine or teaching according to Christ, especially union with Christ and how that affects a person's life. But it's also important to to notice that there's reasons in which Paul wrote this letter. Paul likely did not visit this church, and you can see that towards the the end of the, the, the book, but he wrote really with the authority of his apostleship to because he really felt a sense of pastoral uh, responsibility to the Colossians. So he saw this pastoral responsibility. And what was that pastoral responsibility? Well, I would say that one is, is that the pastoral responsibility to him was to show them or communicate them a proper understanding of Jesus Christ and how that ought to affect your life, living it out. But also... He wrote, in a sense, to confront error that was being taught in Colossae. You can see that in many examples throughout, throughout the Scripture. But also, too, you should, we should see that there was, a, there was a man who was a, an integral part in the ministry of the Colossian church. If you looked in chapter 1... Chapter 1, you see the, the ministry of Epaphras to the, to the Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who was a faithful servant of Christ on our, on our behalf. And so here you have Paul writing to the Colossian church in his pastoral really conviction and responsibility, really felt a, a strong um, responsibility here, but he refers to this faithful servant. Faithful servant that did what? He preached the gospel to these people. Preached the gospel. And then you can, you can see this continued in chapter 4, verse 12, where it says, Epaphras, who is one of your number. So you see that, that Epaphras, he was actually from Colossae. One of their number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. See, this was Paul's concern. Paul's concern for the people in the Colossians church was to not only know who Christ was and to walk worthy in his manner, but also warn them, warn them of error that, was, that they were being confronted with. And to be able to fight that error with truth as he committed to do himself. But immediately in this, in this specific section of Colossians, uh, to section uh, 24 through 25, you really have a, a message from Paul, or uh, I'm sorry, verse 24 
through uh, verse 5 of chapter 2, you really have this um, in context that Paul outlines his ministry of the message of hope of Jesus Christ. This is the message of hope that he was bringing to them. A message that where you see at the end of verse 27 was, the, was as referred to as the, the hope of glory. But Paul was committed to proclaim him. Proclaim whom? This person, Christ, in you, the hope of glory. It's important to understand that this Christ, this anointed one, this Messiah, this was Jesus Christ, the one whom the the true Israel was waiting for. The one who was, that they were waiting for their deliverer. They were, they were expecting, you can read throughout scripture, prophecies. There was expectation of this anointed one, this Messiah, this one who was going to come to deliver them from their sin and to provide eternal life, restoring a relationship between God and man. And this was Christ. This was the one who came to fulfill Scripture. To fulfill that expectation of the deliverer. To fulfill the the message in which Paul preached and proclaimed. This message was was very clear. In in Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, because of the hope laid up For you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. This gospel proclaims him. This word of truth, chapter 1, verse 5. And this gospel certainly flies in the face of this, uh, the error that the Colossians were being confronted with. Chapter 2, verse 8. Paul warns them, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. You see, this was the importance in Paul's ministry that that people would be able to understand who this Christ was, who this anointed one was who had come, who had come to deliver them from their sin. But also, in verse 6, Paul says that they understood, at the end there, understood the grace of God in truth. This is the gospel. This is the gospel message that Epaphras preached to them, in which he is writing about, proclaiming him, Christ. And furthermore, chapter 1, verse 25, again, he says, Of this church I I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. And this is what he was doing, carrying out that stewardship that he had so very well understood and been convicted had been convinced about. Preaching of the Word of God. Proclaiming Him, this Christ. But I want to point out one specific aspect of this um, proclamation that is communicated in, in and throughout Colossians, the book of Colossians, and throughout Scripture. But it's the idea of this mystery this mystery, verse 20, in the middle of 27, Paul says, To whom God willed to make known what, it, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is this mystery that he's talking about? What is this secret of God that was hidden in the past and brought forth revealed for the first time to New Testament saints, to New Testament believers. Just think of the anticipation. 
Think of the anticipation of the Old Testament saints who are waiting and waiting and waiting. I guess in some sense we can sort of feel that this way because we are waiting for Christ to come back. But just feel that sense of anticipation, looking for that deliverer, the anointed one, who is going to be the Savior. What is this mystery? Well, it includes the incarnate Word of God. Chapter 2, verse 2 highlights that. At the end of chapter 2, the knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. This is the mystery. But it's not the the full mystery in which God uh, has communicated throughout Scripture. Paul sought to, in in the book of Colossians, to communicate this mystery that, that Christ had come, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. Look further on in verse 3 of chapter 2, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom, of knowledge. And then over to verse 9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily in, in bodily form. And he, he really goes on to communicate a very detailed understanding of the incarnate God himself. But the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 25 identifies the, this mystery of Israel's unbelief. Israel was going to not believe in this and going to have, a, you could say, as it says, a hardening. There's going to be a hardening among Israel. But also, mystery includes a lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. This lawlessness that was going to come and be dominant in this world. But furthermore, which is important to note, was this mystery of Jew and Gentile being unified as one in the church. And the most specific illustration of that is in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3 through 6. You see this mystery of, of God not only saving Jews, but saving Gentiles as well. That God would, in His grace, in His mercy, send the message of salvation to the Gentile that they would believe. So in short, you could say the Old Testament reveals that the coming of the Messiah and the Gentiles would partake. But it did not, it didn't, it left out in, for a reason, it left out in God's divine wisdom this idea of the indwelling of Christ. And this is the, this is the, the second part of the, the mystery that, that Paul is talking about. So it's, it's not only the, the mystery of, of Christ himself, but what does he say there at the end of verse 27? Christ in you. The Spirit of Christ dwelling in you. This was the, the Spirit of God indwelling someone. Now that the Jew and Gentile would possess the riches of the indwelling Christ. Look at John 14, verse 23 for another reference to that. And there's other various references to that as well. So the mystery was, that was proclaimed by Paul, this, this anointed one, the one who was to come, this deliverer, in which Paul preaches in his gospel, the gospel of God, the gospel of truth, this mystery of, of Christ indwelling man which he finishes off, verse 27, chapter 1, verse 27 of Colossians, the hope of glory. This is the hope. This is the hope. And it goes back to what we were talking about, ministering to, to someone in need. And the only hope for someone to understand this, this life in this world is, is in, in God, in Christ living according to, to His will, by His Spirit, by His grace. And Paul understood that. And he communicated that to, to these people. And he communicates that to us. 
by God's grace this morning. So who is this proclaimed to? Not only what is this proclaimed, who is this proclaimed about, who is Christ, but who is this proclaimed to? Paul says that this is proclaimed to every man. Notice, this is not something that is a, is a partial, partial message to someone. It's not, uh, it's not, received, it's not communicated to, to someone without, with the exclusion of another people group. This, uh, this goes to the world. To be disciples of all nations. It's not a partial message to the people nor in content. Paul is clear. But it also, you, we should see that in, with this every man, because that's an important aspect of that, it says every man, teaching every man, or admonishing every man, teaching every man, so that every man may be complete in Christ. Every person. The man is used in a collective sense there to refer to, to people. So that every person would be made complete in Christ, would be made mature in Christ. So just to make application, a short application to a counseling sense, is that you should not exclude somebody from your, um, from your life or from, from sharing the gospel and ministering the word of God to because they're weird or they uh, don't understand you or they're just hard to, to understand yourself. You just don't understand where they're coming from or they're just too complicated. They have too many problems in their life. This is a message that's to be communicated to every man so that every man may be complete in Christ. But I want to point out that this, um, the, the part of this every man is that there were people, there were in, in Colossae, in the Colossian church, that going back to in referencing this, this error that they were confronted with, they were confronted with an error, verse, chapter 2, verse 4, that said, was tempting them to d- delude them with, persuas- with a persuasive argument. So there were people... In this, in this time, you could say they're ascetics, uh, people that strive to um, reform themselves in, in worldly ways to establish themselves in intellectual or some sort of high spiritual fashion to, to say that they're some um, very religious or spiritual person or uh, of a higher intellectual um, standing. There are these, these persuasive arguments and the same thing is today. Same thing is true today. There, there's a lot of, you could say, persuasive arguments that are, that are made by false religions. And um, back, in, back in this time, it was just a, a false religion of believing in uh, essentially a man-made religion that focuses on a works-based salvation. A salvation that is by the, the works of, of themselves to... Um, that they would be able to, in some way, abase themselves or bring themselves to a, um, such pity or you know, hide themselves from, from the world in such a way that they could, uh, they could achieve some sort of uh, spirituality. And this wasn't the case. This wasn't the case at all. And as I said, these, Paul continues on in verse 8, these philosophies and empty deception... There's a reason why that Paul identifies it as that. Empty deception. There, there's, it's in vain. It, it doesn't go anywhere. It has a, a veil of, of truth that, that doesn't lead to truth, but actually leads to, to false belief and false um, conviction of wrong doctrine. And there he continues on. He says, according to the tradition of men, according to elementary principles of the war, world, rather than Christ. And then verse 16, you can read that there. Um, he goes into more detail of uh, what that might be as well. Festivals, 
of new moons or Sabbath day. But I want to make a, just a statement about the people uh, of this day that you may know in your own life that are embracing false doctrine or following after false religions and believing in um, error. It's necessary for us to understand God's truth and their need so we can apply his truth to that. And th- but thirdly, I want to just continue to move on to the, th- the third question to ask about this, this statement that we proclaim him. Why must Paul proclaim? Why must he do it? Well, I, I, I noted and just briefly state that there is hope. This is the only hope through Christ. The hope of glory. The indwelt spirit of God. And that was only brought forth through the work of Christ on the cross that we might believe in Him. But I also want to point out a specific passage here in verse 13 where Paul says, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the, king, into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And see, this is the reason, or a reason, I should say. This is a reason, not only because there is hope in the indwelling Spirit of God, But there is hope because those who have put their trust in Christ have, as Paul said, been res- be rescued from the domain of dark- darkness and transferred in the kingdom of His beloved Son. And this, this rescue, this transfer needs to happen. And in that transfer, there is redemption. There is forgiveness of sin, verse 14. And therein is hope. Hope for someone who lives in a very dark place. That God would, in His grace, that He would rescue you or anyone that you would be able to have the opportunity to share this with, to rescue him or her from the domain of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of His beloved Son, that they be forgiven of their sin. Forgiveness, hope, redemption, forgiveness. Just think about the forgiveness of sin in your own life. How God has, in His grace, forgiven you of your sin, if you have trusted in Him. What a grace. What a kindness. Forgiveness. A lot of people wear around bondage and chains, weighted around, living lives with heavy burdens. And in many senses, they're carrying around bondage of sin, to sin in their life. They haven't experienced the hope, they haven't experienced redemption or forgiveness of sin. Oh, the forgiveness of sin is such a blessed thing and a grace of God. And this is why Paul proclaimed Christ. Because it is, it is in him that there is forgiveness of sin. And at the end of verse 28, another reason. A reason for Christ to, or for Jesus to, or for Paul to proclaim Christ to proclaim Him, this hope that is in the Colossians, the Spirit of God, was that they, be, that they would be complete in Christ. And this really is the, 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 the means to, to the, this is really the, the, the end goal of why you ought to be about the Father's business God's mission to, as, as Paul is, to minister to people, to have a high view of God in biblical counseling, to proclaim Him, 
Because that's where everything begins, having a, a right view of God. And therefore, once a person has a right view of God, they have a right view of themselves and the world, and that they would find Christ as their Lord and Savior, repent of their sins, and that transfer would happen to be rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom, be redeemed, find forgiveness. And just in conclusion, I just want to apply this to counseling situations. There's a lot of people that that center their approaches around philosophies or theories that are man-centered. They're centered on the man. They're centered on the person instead of the person of Christ. They take matters out of the hands of God into themselves and try to to fix someone's behavior or uh, really um, communicating, uh, trying to address this issue of self-esteem and trying to build someone up according to their self-esteem instead of showing them who God is and their need for Christ and really addressing the matter of the heart. And that's really the the first application that we ought to draw from this, is that you ought to to proclaim Christ to those you you counsel, but do in a way that, that, that meets the true need, the matters of a person's heart, that you have to, you know, by God's wisdom, be able to discern what God would want to change in their heart. Yeah, it takes time to, to understand, time with a person, time in God's Word. But not be centered on man, but centered on God Himself. Not be centered on this self-esteem, but be centered on the Savior. And then secondly, I would say that the true gospel is, has been totally dismissed or even dismantled and repackaged in a way that is, in some senses, is completely false. I've mentioned to you before about the Alcoholics Anonymous program and how it is a, you know, it really is a false religion. I spent many years in the rehab center preaching to men, and they um, are taught to have a belief in a higher power. That higher power could be a chair you're sitting on. That, you, that their chair would hold you up in life. There's all kinds of strange things that I would hear. But this is what they would believe, this false view. And really the establishment of Alcoholics Anonymous was, was by men who were convinced to try to uh, repackage Christianity in a way that they um, didn't find fancy to them. They wanted to take a little bit from, from there and, and try to make themselves moral and the outside without dealing with the true matters of the heart. And the gospel is therefore dismissed and dismantled and replaced with a false God, a false Savior. One that leads to nowhere. It's like a bridge to nowhere. And these are the things that we're confronted with. That the people that, that live lives in this world believe. So many false so, so many false doctrines. And it is your responsibility, and um, I would say should be your conviction to strive to, to make that right in a person's life that you have the opportunity to speak into. To not only right the wrong of their wrong view of Christ, but establish them, hopefully by God's grace, um, as, a, as one who is born again. And then lastly, I would state that there's the confusion just confusion abounds in this world. And that we as, as followers of Christ, as people who have laid hold of Scripture and are convinced of who Christ is, that we ought to uh, be mindful of those around us. And I'm sure we are. You know, I, I know that most of you are of who I talk to on a regular basis. But there's, there's plenty of opportunities around and un- the unfortunate situations that people are in, um, whether it be people who are a woman who, who is feeling extreme grief and guilt over an abortion that she had many years ago, 
or over someone who has lost a family member who has committed suicide. So many people have, you know, have, are confused and hurting in this world. And may we uh, be committed to be faithful stewards of the gospel and proclaim God's truth to, to, to his people and to those around us so that people may uh, repent of their sin or be edified and be found complete in Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for your truth. And just pray that as we begin to understand um, what biblical counseling is, that we not only think about how we can minister to others, but may you do that to us in our life. That we can understand um, who Christ is, what he has done for us on our behalf. That the only hope is found in Christ. And we have the Spirit of God to enable us to to live a life that honors you. And may we uh, have opportunities to, to share that with others. And that be our simple message, proclamation of Christ. A proclamation of Christ that there is redemption and forgiveness of sin. In Jesus' name.